Thank you, worship team. And uh, isn't it great to have Luke and Rachel leading worship together? Husband and wife, I love it. And uh, sorry, I was uh, wiped away my tears here. I haven't even started and I was already crying. Um, and uh, uh, we got a really great praise item this morning. So many of you will uh, remember that uh, in the, when was it, Andre? The summer. It was summer. So Andre playing electric guitar up here. Um, we all of a sudden got a, a note that he was back home in Brazil and uh, hit his head. And all of a sudden he needed surgery. It was just a little, like he stood up at a restaurant, hit his head on a pole. And suddenly there was massive swelling in his brain. He needed surgery. And uh, miraculously, through a bunch of different things, he was able to get that surgery. It was a success. And he just received his a brain scan this week. And he testified that it's clean. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's uh, exciting. We were celebrating uh, what God has done in his life. And the doctors told him after the surgery, because, uh, you know, you don't give the bad news ahead of time, um, that they were surprised that he was still alive and, uh, and that uh, he did not come out with a whole bunch of side effects uh, from what happened. Yeah, but he's standing over there, completely healthy, ready to go. That's right. <laughs> um, let's see. Look at, oh, look at that. There, there it is. There it is. I'm a rookie at this, so you'll have to forgive me. So yes, Pastor Phil, is, uh, he was on holidays this week. Uh, he is actually going to be back tonight, though, if you, wanna, if you need to get your Phil fix. Um, preaching, uh, uh, he's going to be preaching, uh, continuing the Hearing God series at Pursuit tonight. If you uh, want to join that, that's at 5.30 tonight. But next week switches to 5. Um, so I feel like uh, preachers always need to have some kind of like funny family story, right? Or, or, or different funny things. So, uh, so this is mine. I was, uh, uh, my mother-in-law was in town for this last week, and I, uh, she had bought me skates for Christmas, and finally I took them out yesterday, and we went skating downtown, and, uh, and I hadn't skated in, like, we're from Manitoba, and everybody else in Manitoba skated, but we didn't. And uh, so this was like the first time basically in, oh, I don't know, 15 years or something. But I was actually pretty good. And uh, I was getting some confidence, and I'd do a little move. I'd look over at my wife, Manuka, she'd be like... <laughs> and, uh, and so I can ne- I've never been able to stop. And, uh, but I thought, I thought, like, I was getting into a little bit, you know, just like a little bit. And I thought, now's the time. We're going to go all in. And, uh, and so I start speeding up. I'm going... And apparently, uh, Manukia was watching this the whole time. And, um, and I came, and I was about to lean in and <laughs> caught my skate. My leg went straight up. I was straight in the air and fell like this. <laughs> and uh, so I have a big shiner right here. And, uh, and yesterday, I was limping around the house. And so, uh, so if, you, if you notice a bit of a limp this morning, uh, that's because of my, uh, my confidence in skating uh, moment yesterday. So... Um, anyone watching the Super Bowl today? Football fans? Few? Okay. So I had a funny moment this, uh, this morning with my son. Um, and so I said, uh, hopefully we're going to be able to watch the game today. And, and he said, what teams are playing? And I said, Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. And he just looks at me and he goes, Philadelphia? He was putting Philadelphia cream cheese <laughs> on his... And so he's convinced that Philadelphia is winning today because of this moment where he was holding the Philadelphia, he looked at it like he was reading it as I said, and he was like, Philadelphia? <laughs> so he's, he's in. Uh, so uh, I should have maybe done this at the beginning, but if, for those who don't know me, my name is Zach, and I'm the worship pastor here at Willow Park. And uh, normally I get to do the, the singing, which is uh, a little bit less nerve-wracking for me. Um, but, uh, but today I'm going to be preaching on worship, and if I get nervous, I'm just going to start singing my message. So, uh, which actually, we're going to learn later, will help you remember it a lot more if I just speak it to you anyways, but, uh, um, but that will just happen, so uh, we'll see. Um, this is a big, a big topic, and in no way uh, can I cover it all in the next 35 minutes, so I've had to be selective in, in uh, what I talk about today, but I do hope to give you a good understanding uh, of what worship is and inspire you to be passionate worshipers as I share God's desire and design for worship. 
Worship is so much more uh, than just a few songs sung on a Sunday morning or just a warm-up for the message. In fact, God has designed worship to be a gateway into his presence, promises, peace, strength, renewal, and deeper relationship with him, while also being a vital part of how God plans to accomplish his purposes in and through us. So hopefully that gives you a little teaser, a little excitement on what we're going to unpack today. So things I want to cover, we're going to talk about what is worship, so just understanding what that word means. Why should we worship and praise God? How should we worship and praise God? Does scripture have anything to say about those two things? Uh, And then we're going to talk about the importance and benefits of corporate worship and singing. Yes, we will get to singing today. Um, Okay, so what is worship? Um, That's a a good question to start, and uh, it's a good place to just get our foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. So it's important that we understand what this word worship is describing and what does it mean. Uh, And simply put, it means giving worth to something. So giving worth and devotion to something through your actions, words, thoughts, priorities, essentially your life. And the purpose of worship is to express gratitude, devotion to something considered worthy of worship. So uh, sometimes if, you know, an easy way, if you're ever like just recalibrating during a time of worship, either to, at a church or personally, just think of the, the phrase worth-ship. Uh, instead of worship, just think of worship, and that will remind you to give worth. You're giving worth to God. Uh, so this is a word we've been given to use to say that we give ultimate worth, devotion, and value to God. We have other things in our life that are important, that we value, but our worship, the thing that is of greatest worth and value in our life, in our relationship with, is our relationship with God. And so then we give Him our devotion, which is our worship. So let's dive in a little bit more into what this means for us today. So we're going to talk about why we should worship and praise God. So first, it is a central part of our purpose and identity as Christ followers. So we were created uh, for his glory and to display his praise. So Colossians 1.16 states that all things in heaven and on earth were created by God and for him. And Psalm 102 instructs us to worship the Lord with joy, singing, and gratitude. Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us for his glory and to display his praise. And Revelation 4, 11 states that everything in heaven and on earth worships God. So these verses and others suggest that worshiping God is uh, part of the very purpose of creation and of human existence. So if you're, uh, if you're a non-Christian here and you just came in and you're wondering what's what's going on. If you've ever felt a bit of a longing or a void for something, this is uh, part of what God has placed in you. He's actually placed something inside of you to long, to give him to worship, to fill it with him. So we believe that by worshiping God, we fulfill our created purpose and experience a deeper sense of fulfillment and joy in our relationship with God. Second, he is a great God, worthy of our praise. So Luke was reading some scripture this morning. It's, it's, scripture is full of passages that encourage us to worship God because he is worthy. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, just a couple today. Psalm 96, 2-5 says, Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In Psalm 96, the psalmist cites several reasons why the Lord is worthy of praise. So the Lord is worthy of praise because of the marvelous deeds among all people. He is worthy because he is not just an idol like other gods. He is real and above all other gods. He made the heavens. And a few verses down, it says that the Lord reigns over all the earth that the earth is established and cannot be moved by anyone else. The psalmist also says that the Lord will rule with justice, righteousness, and truth. All of creation, other than the rebellious, are jubilant about his rule and reign. And Psalm 103 lists a few more reasons why the Lord is worthy of great praise. So praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, 
Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen? Doesn't this evoke some kind of response to you when you focus on who God is and what he's done for you? Well, that is worship. That's the heart of worship right there, is responding to God for who he is and what he has done. In Psalm 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So we're encouraged to give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Thirdly, praise is a befitting sacrifice to give to the Lord. So there are, are a variety of sacrifices that we can offer to God, all of which are acceptable and pleasing to him. So here they are, broken, a broken and contrite heart, which comes from Psalm 57, doing what is upright and just, obedience, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, and giving. A sixth offering that Scripture speaks much about is the sacrifice or offering a praise. Because of who he is and what he has done, God prescribes that we offer our praises as a sacrifice to him. So Psalm, 1, Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So uh, we're going we're gonna to plant ourselves mostly there today, uh, but it all ties into all of these um, different sacrifices. And there's a, there's a story in scripture that gives us a bit of God's heart uh, for thanksgiving and praise. And it's the story of the lepers uh, being cleansed. Upon enter- this is from Luke 17. Upon entering a village one day, Jesus encountered 10 lepers who cried to him for mercy. Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them turned back and fell in his face before Jesus to offer loud praise and thanksgiving. This one was a Samaritan. The others evidently were Jews. Jesus then asked, weren't there ten cleansed? Where then are the other nine? Has only this foreigner returned to give thanks? It would be ungrateful for us to receive from the Lord and neglect in giving wholehearted praise and thanksgiving back to God. We see that God is wanting and waiting for our response to who he is and what he is doing and what he is doing in our lives today. He is asking us to come and to give him a response of praise and thanksgiving. He desires it. Fourth. Oh, that is not the next slide. Are there any other slides? Because that's like... Oh, is that the next slide? Oh, my bad. <laughs> Rewind! <laughs> that, was a, that was something I just changed, yes, and I uh, forgot about that. All right, as we continue. Um, so, while offering thanksgiving to God for his goodness to us is worthwhile in itself, God has designed that in it there is benefit for us as well thereby revealing just how good he really is. Did you get that? So while offering thanksgiving to God for his goodness to us is worthwhile in itself, God has designed, remember we're talking about God's design as well, God has designed it in that there is benefit for us as well, thereby revealing just how good he really is. But we need to take a quick pause, which is where that that slide came from, which I forgot about for a moment. Um, Before we jump to the benefits it's really important to let this first truth sink in. And uh, because it's very easy in our culture and society to jump to the benefits 
and to want the benefits and, uh, and to run for the benefits. And God, there's a part of that that's good. God wants us to run to those. But there's a kind of a first step that we need. And I was, I'm a verbal processor, so I was verbally processing uh, one time in our kitchen, and I was kind of, uh, I was actually sharing, I was a bit discouraged. I was like, Matt, we can be so consumeristic in our, uh, in our thinking when it comes to church, and, and especially worship, and I was trying to figure out ways to help you know, uh, the church engage more and how to teach on this and, and uh, verbally processing. And then my wife, who is uh, more to the point, she says, well, yeah, worship is our offering to God, not his offering to us. And all of a sudden it just sank in and it was just a very important little truth there. Well, not a little truth, a big truth. Worship is our offering to God, not his offering to us. And that was uh, just taking my blabber, blabberness for a few minutes of verbally processing, and then she summed it all up in this very nice thing. So I've been using this ever since, so thank you, honey. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. So this, uh, uh, we have lots more to talk about today, but, but this is something I want you to take a hold of. Um, and this is a really good truth and reminder that when you come into church or when you go into quiet times with God or whatever it is, that worship is your offering to God, not his offering to you. So we don't come in and be like, all right, God, I just, I need you today. I need you today. I need all those benefits. First, he's asking us to come before him and say, God, this is my sacrifice, my offering to you. So when we, and when, um, um, when we first come to God because he is worthy, because we are asked to give him worship, then out of his abundant goodness, he has designed wonderful benefits that he is waiting to pour out, uh, in, pour out on us in his presence. So now we're going to jump to those wonderful ben- benefits. So we are exhorted to come into his presence. So in his presence is where those benefits happen. Psalm 27 says, Seek my face, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. An important way in which we do this is by bringing him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and praise his name. When we bring an offering to the gates of his dwelling, he doesn't just tell us to drop our sacrifices off there at the closed gates uh, so that then he can just come and collect them later. No, Instead, he tells us that when we come uh, to his gates with praise and thanksgiving, with sacrifices, then the gates open up and we come right into his presence. Psalm 16, 11 says, You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Come into God's presence through thanksgiving, adoration, Worship, and you will experience him in such a way that you will be filled with life. That's God's promise to you. So let's keep moving here. Number five, we experience the joy of the Lord and peace. So why should we worship and praise God? We experience the joy of the Lord and peace. So we see an example of this in something that Paul said in Philippians 4, 67. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And not only is there peace in his presence, but the psalmists tell us that there is also fullness of joy, which we had just read. You have made known to me the path of life, and you'll fill me with joy in your presence. And... um, And not just peace and joy, but also hope, which is why Paul could say what he said in Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul knew this truth and uh, and was telling us uh, to run to the presence of God. May the God of hope fill you. Uh, He knew that in his presence, God would fill us with a much-needed peace and hope and joy. So once in his presence, anxiety and worry and stress are no longer the focus. And why is this? 
because there is no anxiety, no worry, and no stress in God's throne room. Amen? None. And the reason for this is because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's exactly what I was leading you in prayer of after worship. Uh, Just coming to that place of realizing that God is in control. No one can thwart his will or his plans. No one, nothing, none. So we sing lots of, uh, lots of songs that declare and proclaim this truth. And it's not because God needs to be reminded. It's because we need to be reminded that no one can stop the Lord Almighty. Amen? We need to be reminded of that important truth. So when we're overwhelmed with crippling anxiety uh, over circumstances that threaten to drown us or overthrow us, we're exhorted to present our requests with thanksgiving, with worship. And God promises that our hearts and minds will be filled with God's peace, and anxiety and worry will be replaced with great joy and hope. And this is what the psalmist meant when he said in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. And as a, as a worship leader, this is why I often try to take moments in between the songs or at the end of the set Uh, why we design that uh, the pastor will come up and pray right after worship is because it's important for us to just pause in worship and to let the Lord restore and renew our soul. And that happens when we are in God's presence, focusing on who he is, reminding ourselves of who he is. Then we're in a place where God can bring that restoration and renewal to our soul. Uh, Sixth, Praise builds us up and renews our strength. So seeing how this is all working, we're kind of on the same path here. When we turn to wholehearted praise and thanksgiving, we enter the presence of the Lord and we really experience Him. In His presence, we experience the joy, the peace, and the hope, and these emotions in turn give us strength. Nehemiah 8.10, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we experience hope and joy and peace in his presence, our strength is renewed spiritually, mentally, and even physically to keep going. Amen? Uh, All right, so we're going to go into number seven. I forgot to put the number seven there. Oh, uh, wrong, um, missed one edit there. There you go. Um, Seven, praise is a spiritual weapon against the dark forces of evil. So the Bible has much to say about uh, praise defeating and driving back the powers of darkness. I can't spend a whole bunch of time there today, um, but here are just a few quick examples. So example number one, Jehoshaphat and his enemies. So in Second Chronicles, uh, there's recounts the story of Jehoshaphat who's facing uh, the invading forces, and after worshiping and consulting the Lord, uh, where they receive cur- courage and a promise from God, Then, out of trust and faith, he appoints men to sing and praise God at the front of the army to go out before them. And in 2 Chronicles 20, 22, it says, As they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. As Israel's prayer warriors raised their voices to God in praise, uh, angels were sent to defeat a physical foe. The physical enemy was defeated because unseen enemies were scattered by the power of praise. And we get a lot of our battle songs that we sing uh, from this story. And so, uh, because in this story is where God actually says to them, uh, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours, but mine. And that's what the promise that God gave them, to have the courage to go out, uh, and to have the faith and to... um, believe that God was going to fight for them. And so, uh, obviously, there's a song, Battle Belongs, that we sing, but the new one we've been singing, You've Already Won. Who likes that one? Yes, such a good one. Um, And that is is reminding us of this this truth, um, that we don't know what he's doing, but we know what he's done. We know his promises, and uh, he is saying, let me take up your battle. Let me help you. Let me walk with you, and never lose hope because I have already won in the end. Uh, a great uh, and example number two, David and his harp. So there's a bit of a different example. We're in 1 Samuel 16. 
It describes how King Saul uh, was plagued by an evil spirit, uh, which haunted him. And yet every time that David would worship and praise the Lord in his presence with his harp, that evil spirit would leave. How many of you have experienced that in some shape or form uh, with music, right? When you come into the Lord's presence and you're feeling that anxiety and begin to feel uh, the peace. A great quote I heard uh, on this topic of songs and uh, being a weapon is this one. It says, songs are like putting weapons into the hands of God's people. The truth of God is our sword, and we are putting the word of God in our mouth through song. When we sing worship songs filled with God's word, and knowing that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which is Romans 10, 17, we're creating faith. And when we're singing the word of God, our spirit is taking hold of the reality of who he is, and who he is in the midst of whatever we are going through. And I thought that's just such a powerful truth. And to think about uh, not just that we're singing some nice songs on a Sunday morning, but we're actually, these are weapons that God has given us to actually fight back against the evil forces and to take hold of the reality. It's actually fighting the lies that the enemy wants to speak to. It's fighting against uh, the enemy's plans to take hold of the reality of who God is and who God is in the midst of whatever you're going through. Uh, biblical praise, biblical praise drives back the powers of darkness, releases the angels of God to do battle on our behalf, and brings God's awesome presence into each situation. So praise isn't merely a nice way to begin a meeting together. It's not a warm-up or a filler till everyone arrives for the main part of the service, the message. No, worship and teaching are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. Worship and teaching are spiritual warfare, defeating the enemy in his lies, releasing forces of light into the world to establish God's kingdom. And you're taking part in that when you come and engage. God is calling the church to be active, not passive. You are to help drive back the forces of darkness. It's a part of your purpose. And one way is to offer genuine praise and worship to the Lord. All right, we're going to move now to how. How should we worship and praise God? So what does scripture say about this? Well, first, with our whole heart, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. True praise and thanksgiving is motivated by wholeheartedness. This is what God seeks. And we're instructed to do it wholeheartedly. In the next verse here, Psalm 111, praise the Lord and I will extol, praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. And you see here, it doesn't just say period there. It says in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. What uh, they're getting, what the psalmist is getting at there is uh, don't just do this alone. Actually proclaim your, uh, you know, the Lord's salvation and your praise and your vows to the Lord in the council of the upright and in the assembly among the people. Um, and how uh, befitting for the one who is our very life that we would worship him with our whole heart. Amen? So number two, with reverence, awe, and fear of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And uh, this next verse here in Malachi, just to give a bit of context. So what's happening in Malachi is it's the last book of the Old Testament, and God chooses to the message that he sends uh, to us, and then there's silence for 400 years. The message that he sends is a message on worship and teaching the whole law. Worship and teaching the whole law and to give the Lord respect and honor. And that's what he uses the last book of the Old Testament before he goes silent. Last, the last time for those 400 years that he speaks directly to his people through the prophet Malachi. And he actually, the whole first chapter is about uh, the heart of worship. And so just one of the verses out of there, says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, 
Where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. And back then, for father and for master, there were uh, protocols uh, within the culture and society that you had to address a father and a master in a certain way. And what was happening is the Israelites were now starting to bring um, the lame animals, the leftovers, the least of their flock for the sacrifices. And what happens here is God speaks right to the heart. God is speaking to the state of the heart when bringing offerings to worship him. They were bringing their lame, their leftovers, and he is asking, where is the reverence and honor that is due me? Are you doing this with reverence and honor? Are you doing this with wholeheartedness? Or is it done out of half-hearted obligation? And so he was speaking to them about this, and I believe that message rings true today, that he's asking us, uh, do you have reverence and awe in your heart for me? Or is worship just a half-hearted obligation? A key ingredient to genuine worship is a heart that truly reveres and honors the Lord. God desires and deserves our hearts to be filled with reverence and awe when we come before him in worship. Number three, with corresponding postures. So how should we worship and praise God? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May my prayer be set before you like the incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So we get uh, a few different things here, and there's more. Uh, Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God loud songs of joy. Uh, so let's talk about a, bit, a bit about these p- postures here. Um, so to physically bow and to kneel are gestures of acknowledging greatness and demonstrate the reverence and awe that are in our hearts. So if you're ever feeling like you want to demonstrate that reverence and awe, to physically bow or to kneel, or sometimes I just put out my hands like this in front of me, but there's something where we actually respond with our body. Uh, It is also appropriate to raise our hands and to praise the Lord. And what does the lifting up the hands praise signify? Well, we get this in this Psalm uh, 141. The lifting of the hands is a gesture signifying that we are offering up an offering of praise that goes up like an incense of a sacrifice. But there's one more. Dancing. (laughs) We are to rejoice uh, in the Lord with abandonment, like little children. And sometimes our pride stands in the way. We don't feel it is befitting for such a sophisticated people or just because we're Mennonite. Uh, But God was pleased. Just know this. God was pleased with David's dancing and leaping before him. Uh, So within your heart, uh, express express your joy and your worship to God as you feel led. These postures and gestures of the body remind the mind that God is a great God who is in charge. And when done out of a pure and full heart, just the act alone apart from saying or singing anything, can at times usher us right into his presence. So if you're in a, maybe even in a Sunday morning or early in the, in the morning in your quiet times with him or late at night, whenever that is, or you're just in a moment where it's really hard for you to, to actually begin to praise or speak to the Lord, sometimes just uh, getting down on your knees before him, sometimes just Uh, lifting up your hands will actually begin to usher in God's presence because it's coming from your heart and that that gesture is just a way of of walking into his presence with reverence with awe with thanksgiving for who he is number four we may speak shout or sing our praise prayers sing to him a new song play skillfully and shout for joy clap your hands all all peoples shout to God with loud songs of joy. So I think we could have a little bit more shouting on a Sunday morning in worship. Amen? Amen. That's right. You know, it's, it always feels like uh, um, everyone's, uh, most people are a bit scared to do it. But when one person actually kind of does it, everyone else f- loosens up a little bit. And they're like, oh, I don't even, amen. I'm going to shout out one too. So if you're one of those 
one of those initiators, we encourage you to initiate, break us out of our mold. Get some, uh, get some shouting going on here. Cheering for the Lord. Um, so, um, yes. So with our tongue, we speak, sing, and even shout forth praise to God. So the most prominent feature of praise and worship in Scripture is that of singing. So you can see where we're going here. Um, uh, Psalm 147, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. So singing is the most prominent feature. And so with our tongue, we speak, we sing, even shout forth praise to God. With our bodies, we praise him through kneeling, bowing, clapping, dancing, acknowledging that through these actions, acknowledging through these actions, who he is and who we are or who we are not. And with our hands lifted, we signify that we are consciously offering up a praise. Our praise is an offering of love and adoration and humility to the one we know to be worthy. Sometimes these actions flow out of being in his holy presence as we allow our hearts and bodies, and at other times, just uh, doing these gestures leads us right into, uh, leads our heart into the place of adoration. So you see, uh, why we should worship God, we have all those reasons. Scripture is full of reasons why God is worthy. Scripture also tells us a little bit of how we should worship God, that it's not just however you want, although you get to come as you are, but there is actually a bit of a process. God wants us to come with thanksgiving, with reverence, with awe, and to express that uh, through our bodies in some shape or form or through our voices. But I want to finish today uh, expanding on the worship response or tool of singing. What is so important about singing and singing together? Purpose and benefits of corporate worship and singing. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. Did you know that? (laughs) Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And in Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, um, God's people are more than just invited to sing. We are encouraged and commanded to sing. And when we sing, we are doing something God designed for us to do. We are doing something God designed for us to do. I'm going to show you a little bit uh, as we finish here of why that's so. Um, what a wonderful gift it is to us, actually, uh, to have a way to express uh, our worship to God through singing. Um, I find that, uh, you know, I have ways to worship just kind of uh, thinking and praying or uh, postures or just speaking out my prayers, but something happens when I engage in, in the act of singing uh, to God and engages my heart more. And so whether you feel like you can sing or not, I want to encourage you and say that you have a song to sing, even if it is just a joyful noise like Pastor Phil. <laughs> so uh, every once in a while, uh, Phil will turn his mic on at the end of a worship set, and uh, you guys don't hear it. Uh, I was going to say thankfully, but I don't, I don't want to be that rude. Uh, but but in, our little, in our little ears uh, here with our earphones, uh, when, that's how we hear each other on, on the stage. And every once in a while, all of a sudden, we'll hear this voice starting to come in and join us. And then uh, every once in a while, it'll actually end up on the live stream. Just the last few lines, because he'll turn out ready for the prayer, he'll turn it on. And, uh, and my parents, hi, Mom and Dad, um, who often watch online, and uh, they will every once in a while just text me and say, wonderful morning this morning, and uh, wonderful to hear Phil at the end. <laughs> Uh, So, um, here's a quote to encourage you. If you no longer have to fear eternal separation from God, if death is merely the doorway to unspeakable joy, if sin has been conquered, hell is overcome, and Jesus has saved you to enjoy eternal pleasures at God's right hand, then you have a song to sing. 
And it's a song that no trial, no disease, no struggle, no persecution, and no power on earth or in hell can stop. Amen. So I now look at singing as a God-designed spiritual discipline. So just as I know it is good and beneficial for me to sing, read the word, engage in community, love others, etc., I now know that it is good and beneficial for me to sing to God and to one another. It's both personal and a corporate discipline. So what is happening when we sing? When you sing, you dig deep roots in the word. Colossians 3.16 said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the Apostle Paul lays out this exhortation that God's word dwells in us richly, and then he tells us how to live out that command. So the first, of course, is teaching, but the second is singing. Singing is one of the two chief ways in which God's word dwells in us richly. And when we sing songs together, we are promised that the word of Christ will dwell in us. It's a promise. Our singing is more than just a warm-up or a filler for the service. Colossians 3.16 is clearly laying out that singing stands alongside of preaching as one of the two great ways that God has ordained for his word to dwell richly in each one of us. (laughs) And uh, church singing is like take-home theology. Do I have this up there? Nope. Church singing is like take-home theology theology because it's uh, the best songs we sing together serve as a five minute easy memorizable uh, biblical summary of important truths and promises from scripture and i don't have the time this would be a whole other message if we were dive into uh, how science is proving this but just a few things neuroscience is proving how not only melodies but the content of the songs is easily stored in our brains you can recall them much easier than when someone just speaks a truth to you. If someone were to sing that truth to you, wives, you should start singing the reminders to your husbands. <laughs> the door on the bathroom is broken and you need to fix it tomorrow. <laughs> that just came to me right now. It's good. It's also finding that uh, singing has wonderful health benefits, but we're going to get that another day. Just think about how we all learned the alphabet right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And all of a sudden it starts to get planted in us, or how you can somehow remember songs from your childhood, or, uh, or you know, hits from the whatever era you're from, but you can't answer what you had for breakfast, right? It is actually stored in a different part in our, in our brains. Music, specifically with words and the act of singing, is one of the few ways that the left and the right hemisphere, brain hemispheres, work together and speak to one another. So the left is the analysis and order, and the right is the emotion, the soul, and creativity. It's one of the few ways that the two actually speak together. So right now, and I'm just speaking to you, the right side um, is hardly engaging, although it's a little bit if you kind of engage with me, where the left side, the analysis, the order, the thinking about, but if I were to begin to sing these truths to you, both of them in your brain start to speak to each other. And it is quite literally, when you practice this, it is quite literally renewing your mind, which we are exhorted to do in Romans 12. This is something God has designed for us to do to help renew our mind. When you sing God's word, it is getting planted inside, not just your, yes, I know that's true, but the, I'm going to live it out. This is who I am, part of my brain. Amen? That's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. So that's why it's important what songs we sing as a church. We want to sing songs that implant deep spiritual truths and promises into us and give us a grand full picture of who God is. Some songs are so important for us to sing as a church, even if they aren't our favorites. Ooh, touchy. Um, They're so important because they're teaching us and they're shaping us who we are and they're helping renew our mind, renew us as a church. And then lastly, also some of the same benefits that we get personally happen corporately when we sing together. So God designed us to need each other. God's word calls us to regular weekly expressions of our corporate joy and thankfulness before God in worship, not just isolated Christian individuals scattered around, but corporate gatherings, praying and singing to God, hearing God's word and celebrating Jesus together. In both of these previous verses that we read, 
in Colossians and Ephesians, there's a very key line that it says, to one another. You can't do that on your own. You actually need other people around to address one another. Although, I guess if you sing in the mirror, that might help a little bit too. But, um, but you actually need people around. This is an instruction to not do this just on your own, but do it to one another because there's benefits to that. When we spend time worshiping together, we are being built up and unified as the church. Uh, when we hear each other singing, when we are hearing each other's testimonies and commitments and vows to God, we are hearing our brothers and sisters sing the same vows as us, and it is strengthening our faith to keep going. And it's helping us persevere and strengthening us for the trials ahead. Uh, other than sometimes reading scripture out loud during services, which we sometimes do, singing is the one practice we all collectively do together during a service, and it brings a strong unity to the church. Think about even just in a span of 15 minutes, three songs-ish, the amount of things that we all collectively agree together and commit to, right? That brings a, a strong unity to the church. And uh, God knew this and designed it this way. We see this in Acts 16.25 when Paul and Silas are unjustly in prison for the sake of the gospel. And what do they do in prison? Sing! Imagine that! Be like, if we're in prison, there's other, probably other people around, let's sing. Like, I, I, which one, which one was the, like, was it Paul or Silas? And the other one going, not right now. <laughs> not, not right now, Paul. Not right now. Yes, Silas, let's go. Let's sing. And, uh, but they knew. They knew the power of it. And uh, another example I heard is, uh, this is a, a unique one because they couldn't actually sing. Uh, it's, uh, it's from the underground church in China in an area where, um, uh, they, they could only gather in groups uh, four or five, um, and they would gather in each other's homes, but if they would gather in more than that, then they were often told on by their neighbors um, or by people watching, um, and so they had to be really careful, and they could only have small groups, and um, one person came back and testified who attended this and, uh, and said, you would think that in a place where you couldn't actually sing out loud or preach very loudly uh, or even, you know, clap your hands and stuff, that you wouldn't go through the effort of still doing, doing those things. And yet in groups of five in their house, part of their practice was to sit in a circle and have one song leader and have that person begin to mouth the lyrics of the song and the other four would follow that person and mouth and nothing would come out because otherwise their neighbors would hear them and get told on. If they think it's important enough and they can't even sing out loud, but they continue to practice because the addressing one another is strengthening them and helping them build up. I think for us that we get to sing out loud is important for us too, right? That we should be able to do that and we should take advantage of that. Um, we experience greater joy. So uh, probably more hockey fans than football fans, but when you celebrate a sports team or a performance or something really good, do you ever notice one of the first things you do, even when, uh, even when my son says something funny and I want to engage with that, the first, per the first thing I do is I look to Manukia to enjoy the funniness together. But when, uh, and then when a, uh, um, a hockey team scores a goal, you don't just, you woo, and then you just block out everyone else. Woo, and you just don't, don't look at the people beside you. Actually, one of the first things you do, it's natural, is you cheer and then you look to all the people that you're attending the game with, right? Do you know that God wants us to look at each other when we worship together too, to celebrate him? When you hear each other and when you actually physically look, and that's why I lead worship often with my eyes open, and you might find it weird, but I look out at you guys because we're celebrating together. And when we're connecting that same thing that's happening when, when we celebrate a sports team or something, uh, our joy is actually being heightened. We're not just where it's, a greater joy than just celebrating it on our own, right? Um, and then, lastly, oh, lastly, the, uh, we fight the enemy together. Aren't we stronger together, right? So together we are an army pushing back the forces of darkness. We sing our prayers of intercession for each other, for the community, and for the nations. I'm going to call the worship team up now as we, as we close. But I sometimes, I wonder... If this is why there has been so much division uh, over worship in the church, 
uh, over, this, over the decades and centuries. And if you don't know about the division in the church uh, over worship, then that's fine. Don't know about it. But many of us know about it or have experienced it. I sometimes wonder if it's because the enemy knows how powerful a tool it is for the church. And he's willing to get himself in there and make it messy and have people make it messy because he's like, man, if they're, if they're not all unified and they're distracted by this, that's good because I fear when a church comes together and actually stands together for God's truth and sings and worships the Lord. Um, I, I just wonder. So the heart of worship is not music and song, but heads and hearts responding in joyful awe of Jesus. So we often get caught up in our own preferences in worship, but you don't have to travel very far to see that corporate worship has many different looks and flavors around the world. Uh, There is no right way to do corporate worship, to do corporate praise and thanksgiving. As an individual, you can find what, how you best respond and connect with God. So in your home or on your walks or whatever, you can find what best works for you. But as a church, you have to find a place to land. And so in this church, uh, the leadership and I, we have found a place to land. And then as a church, then you collectively put aside your preferences and you dig in, engaging with all of your heart. And I believe that as we do that, as Willow Park, we are going to see renewal in and through us because it's God's promise. Amen? So my encouragement to you today is to find ways to express your worship to God daily, whether that be in your quiet times with Him, your workplace, your family, etc., and to do it wholeheartedly. He is worthy of that. And if you've been shy or hesitant to sing or engage when we worship together, just give it a try because He's also worthy of that. And when I stand up here and lead you on worship, uh, what brings me the greatest joy is to know God's design and purpose for worship and all that He is accomplishing together. So let's stand together. And we're going to finish off with this last song, and we're going to put it into practice, singing and worshiping with all of our heart. Can we do that together, church? Let's do it.